0: as well. Wasn't that inspiring? Couldn't have happened to a better team, hey? Not. (laughs) But I love the way in which there's certain clubs that go about doing their business, doing what they do, and welcoming others. And the thing that profoundly shaped me and influenced me as I sat there with that salt breakfast was the way in which certain clubs, certain people, certain organisations can decide that we want to make a difference in people's lives. And I love that picture. You see, I have this vision, this idea, this, this passion for our city, great city of Maroondah, that we will be the kind of people that Jesus' followers here will continue to shape this city for good. And, and I love that idea of imagine what it would look like if we were known as the people who, the people who, the people who, the people who, the people who gathered others in the people who gathered people from the margins, the people who inspired people to greater things, the people who, that's it, they're the people who. And we're doing that and have been doing that for the last 16 years. But I wonder what it could look like in a new season ahead. You see, I believe that where God wants us to go requires us to grow. And it requires us to grow in our influence, in our passion, in our love, In our devotion, not only to each other and to him, but to the world around about him that he loves. That's what was inspiring about Sue's experience and her sharing this morning. When I sit at a table and a salt dinner, I encounter that same sense of God loving people and him shining his love through other people so that together that we might grow and discover a flourishing life with him. You see, when God draws near his presence, I believe he wants us to not only grow, but to, that his presence will shine through us into other people's lives. When, draw, when God calls us, he bids us to shine. In the last 12 months, I've been studying over in Scotland. Finished now, two months ago, it's gone. Did it ever really happen? And I studied with a Swiss friend. And he's probably the most unswiss Swiss friend I've ever met in my life. You see, he has been working over in different places, uh, countries in Africa, and also doing some teaching over in Egypt. And those kind of places had got into him and his connection with God and his sense of God's presence in his life. So over the last 12 months that I got to know him, he just decided to live a different way. If anyone sort of complimented him about anything that he was wearing, he would give it away so there he was in a restaurant in edinburgh and it was in the evening time and he was coming out of the restaurant and he was wearing his swiss beanie that had been knitted just for him and there were two gentlemen outside the restaurant there and they were just chatting away and one of the guys said i really like your beanie (laughs) he said really he goes yeah i would love my son to have a beanie just like that he said well it's yours He just took it off and he gave it to him. And of course, the gentleman said, No, 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 I can't take this. This is no, no, I can't have your beanie. He said, Of course you can. It's yours. The beanie is yours. Give it to your son. At that moment, the guy said, Well, he reached into his pocket and he pulled out his wallet and he lifted out a card. He said, I'm the owner of this restaurant. (laughs) He said, What I want you to do is bring back a friend. And you can order whatever you want on the menu. It's yours. I thought, how about that? A 10-buck beanie for a $200 dinner. But he didn't do it for that at all. In fact, he just wanted to enter into this space of... So someone came and bought him a scarf from one of the really nice places in town. It was just really bright scarf, and he used to wear it. And one day, I saw him not wearing the scarf. I said, where'd the scarf go? He goes, oh, someone said they liked it. <laughs> I said, you gave it away? He goes, yeah, I just I gave it to him. This is, I'm trying to trust God for different things, and I just gave it to him. And uh, uh, so I, I said, but that was a really nice scarf. He goes, yeah, I know, but they, they said they really liked it. Said, Does that work, like, with everything? <laughs> And then, and then so someone found out about that and so they bought him another scarf. And then I think someone else said to him, I really like your scarf. Because I didn't see him wearing that scarf uh, anytime soon after that as well. And so the day I left, I actually gave him the scarf that you gave me before I left with the St. Andrews thing on it. And I said, now, mate, you are not allowed to give away this scarf under any circumstances. You've got to be wearing it all the time. He tells me a story of his work in Nigeria. He went and visited northern Nigeria, which is not a particularly safe place to go. You see, there's a contingent of people he knows back home, some women, who'd been profoundly moved by the stories of those young women who'd been kidnapped by Boko Haram, which basically means education is forbidden. You see, what started off as a good cause, they saw that the educated people were profoundly corrupt. And so they started up this organization against, it must be the education that's doing this. But then it morphed and it twisted and it became what it is right now. You see, they heard the plights of these young women who had been kidnapped, taken away. And they had been now, some of them, only some of them, released and returning to their, their, their homes. And the people that were targeted were Jesus followers. And so these young women are returning, sometimes with children, from their kidnappers. And the communities are wondering, what do we do about this? And it was kind of a shameful thing. And so you had this contingent of women apparently have been going over in the last number of years. And they've just been visiting to reach out to and extend love to these young women who have been returning. And I've been hearing stories about how these women have been um, experiencing God's um, healing in their lives and profound difficulty and the way in which he's been working in them. And now they are reaching out to other women who've experienced similar things and drawing them in. You see, when, God, when God's presence dwells in someone's life, it's not just for your own benefit. It's so that his life might shine through you. That's what I want to talk to you about this morning. When God draws near, it's not just for yourself. It's so that he might shine through you. You see, I've been arguing over the last two weeks, and there's seven weeks to come, or seven weeks, five weeks to come. Is that we live in a flat world, the world that says all there is is here and now, this is all there is. The scientific endeavor has, if you like, dismissed and dismantled God. If you like, all of our progress that's being made in our advanced technology is on the upward. And human beings under their own steam and endeavor are actually creating a new utopia. But that's not so, is it? Because we look around and our world is more disenfranchised and fractured than perhaps we can remember. If you like, there's this sense in which we've taken away all of the barriers in our lives. So there's nothing sacred anymore in our world except for maybe... Well, maybe the MCG in that sacred space. But there's a yearning and there's a hunger in people that there's more. And so over these seven weeks, I'm making an argument. You get to tell, you get to decide which story do you want to live by? Which is the story that narrates your life? The one that says that all we are is material beings. All that we have is here and now. Or, or is there another alternate? There's a God who draws near, and that when we are with him, we flourish best alongside him, trusting him, following him. Which story has the most hope? Which story has the most power? Which story are you living in? By when God draws near, two weeks ago we talked about the story of Eden, Genesis 1 2 3. This idea that God drew in those first human beings, two early hominids, and He was creating sacred space where He was ordering a world that was disordered. And He asked and invited those first human beings to be fruitful and to multiply, and if you like, to continue on in doing His work, but they said no. We want to do it under our own steam. We want to, if you like, decide good and evil ourselves. We couldn't even, if you like, continue to obey one command. And so they reached out and they said, we want to do this ourselves. The only problem is human beings do that really badly. And instead of shining God's light into the world and his order, they shone their darkness into it and there was chaos. And so God said, I wanted to do something about this. I want to restore human beings made in my image because I love them. They're of infinite worth. And so he reached out. And if you like, we picked up the story last week of, of, of Moses. And there he was. he was. He was working and for his father-in-law, Jethro, in the wilderness. And he was walking out and he found that there was this burning bush. And the bush was burning, but it wasn't burning up. And so he drew close to God. And, and and as he drew close to this god spoke to him through the bush and he said i want you to i want you to come no closer because there's something about me you don't understand i'm profoundly good but i'm utterly powerful and he speaks to moses in that moment and he says i want you to go and reclaim my people who are now in slavery under the power of pharaoh and i want you to bring them back into this particular mountain into this particular place And I want to speak to them. I want to call them my own. I want to make them my people. And so he said to Moses, I'll be with you. And this will be the sign to you that it is I who have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you will worship God on this mountain. And so Moses goes. And the story picks up. And if you want to follow, it's in Exodus 19, 1 to 6, where Moses, under God's leadership, have had a profound victory and God's people have been drawn out and they're back at this mountain and God is descending in his power through the thunder and the lightning and the flames and God speaks to them and this is what he says on the first day of the third month after the Israelites left Egypt on that very day they came to the desert of Sinai and after they set out from Rephidim They entered the desert of Sinai, and Israel camped there in the desert in front of the mountain. Exactly what God had said had taken place through much adversity and challenge. Here they were, gathered in this space, right where God had spoken to Moses. And the story goes on. Then Moses went up to God. He climbed up that mountain and the Lord called to him from the mountain and said, This is what you are to say to the descendants of Jacob and what you are to tell the people of Israel. You yourselves have seen what I did in Egypt and how I carried you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. You see, God has a desire that no matter who you are, no matter where you've been, no matter what you've done, God loves you. And he wants to bring you to himself. See, he believes that the best life you can have is a life with him, under him, through him, in him. You might be here this morning and you think, well, you know, I'm a good person. And I don't doubt that. But you see, our problem is, is that we're only relatively good. You see, God invites us to be merciful and kind and compassionate. We can do all those things, but there are times our mercy runs out, our kindness runs out, our goodness runs out, and his doesn't. If you like, God looks at us and he says, you're of infinite worth, but you're in need of great repair. You see, when God brings people close, he washes them clean, he places his presence in them, and he gives them a calling that he might shine through them to transform his world. You see, God is fixing this world one person at a time. He's putting it to rights when he puts us right with him. And so as it goes on, he says these words to not only Moses, but to communicate to the people that had gathered, his people. And he says these profound words to them. Now, if you obey me fully... And keep my covenant, that is, my special, unique partnership that I'm offering to you. Then out of all the nations, you will be my treasured possession. Although the whole earth is mine, you will be for me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words that you are to speak to the Israelites. I love that picture. He says, what I want you to do is to be for me like priests. Wow. That has all connotations in our culture right now, doesn't it? But the idea of a priest is someone who's like a representative, someone who speaks on behalf or acts as a mediator between. Many years ago, I knew a man by the name of a younger guy by the name of Wayne Chester. He hailed from Sale. Anyone down here from Sale here? He hailed from sale, and I remember talking to him, being a city kid and him being a country kid. He said to me, it's all different in the country, Troy. I said, how's that? (laughs) He said, for one thing, everyone knows you in the country. I said, really? How does that work for you? He said, the other day I was walking into a hardware store, and I walked up to the counter with something to purchase, and the man on the other side said, I know you. He said, really? He said, yeah, you're a Chester. He said, yeah, I am. He said, how do you know? I can tell by your look. You see, in the country, if you have a good name, it goes a long way in front of you. Do you know that? Also in the country, if you have a bad name, it goes a long way in front of you. You see, people, they know your family, they know your mum and your dad. And the the way it's supposed to work is that you reflect your mum and your dad. And so when he went to the hardware store and stood in front of the man, he assumed that, I know your dad, he's a good man, so I assume that you are kind of the same. You see, when God called those people, and he called them to himself, when his presence was near, he said, I'm calling you for a purpose. I've given you a vocation. What I want to do is shine through you so that you'll be kind of like a priest that you will reflect. And he goes on and he gives them what we've come to know as the Ten Commands. And they go something like this says, here's 10 rules I want you to obey by. And I think, wow, we couldn't even do one. 10's just going to only complicate the matter, right? And these aren't multiple choice, like pick any of the top three. (laughs) It kind of goes like this. No other gods. I want you to have no other gods but me. I don't want you to worship any other idols. I don't want you to misuse my name. And I want you to keep that Sabbath, that special sacred day, because it's part of the rhythm of life. And I want you to honor father and mother. And then he gives these other five, the second half, if you like, and he says, No lying, no unfaithfulness, no murder, no stealing, no coveting. Hmm. 10 rules. How do you think we go? Let's just pick the bottom five, okay? If you're here this morning and you are in primary age or you're in secondary school, let's say year eight and below, I just want to talk to you right now. So here's the question to you Are these rules good rules? Put your hand up if you think that they're good rules. If you are uh, year eight and below, oh, hands up if you think they're really bad rules. Okay, we've got a non-committal room right here this morning. <laughs> See, because I think these are good rules. These are good rules, and the rules are being given, if you like, the laws to govern, because if you like, if you do these, they're about preserving that which is good, and if you abide by them, actually, then they give life. Here's another rule. It's in our cars right now. Um, Apparently, if you're driving your car in the good state of Victoria, you are not allowed to hold your mobile phone. So I'm still talking to the year eights and below. Uh, You're not allowed to hold your phone in your hand. If you do, I think it's a $1,000 fine. Now, the reason why we have this rule is to not only protect the driver, but protect the other people who are driving, right? If you're a year eight or below, hands up. Is this a good rule? Hand up. Good on you, Jamie. There's a good rule. Okay. Now... If you have seen an adult (laughs) breaking this good rule, just place your hand up again. I'm going to interview you later on. Could you come and sit down the front? We're going to talk to you. I love this, particularly because it says, where are you, uh, when are you coming home? And the person responds, I'm heading home now. Drive safe, says the response. And the person says, okay, see you soon. You see, God gives these rules, if you like, these governances, these laws, not only because he wants, he doesn't want to control us, he wants to give you life because that's what he's like. He says, don't do those things because that is what he is like. Let's go back to the top five. Let's just pick two of them. No other gods and no other idols. What is this God, this one that he's calling them to be this reflection of him? Is he an egotistical God? Is he the God who needs people to bow down and worship him or else he'll, he'll, he'll have a bad day? No. No. You see, God doesn't need people to worship him, but he understands this profoundly about who we are and the way he wired us. You see, he made human beings to be worshiping creatures. And if you do not worship the living God, the one who gives life, you will worship someone or something else. And you will be remade in its image. So if you're here this morning and your top priority in life is to be someone who's known for power and status, if that's what you worship, if that is your bottom line, then that is how you'll begin to view the world and the people around you. You will rank them in a hierarchy about who has the most power and influence and status, and you will rank everyone accordingly who you see. Maybe you're here this morning and your bottom line is money. You're here and your purpose in life is to actually accumulate as much money as you can. The only problem with that, though, is as you are accumulating money, sooner or later it will get into your brain and your hard wiring and you will look at everyone in terms of a monetary value. Whether your time is given... What you do in your world is all determined by how you value them. If you're here this morning and sex, sex, having sexual encounters is the high priority in your list. And sex is a wonderful gift. It just needs to be respected. It's powerful. But if that's your bottom line, sooner or later you'll rank everyone according to their criteria. And the way in which you see them, are they an attractive person or not? Maybe you're here and your bottom line is just to be famous. You don't care how, you just want to be known. Sooner or later, you will rank everyone according to how famous they are or they aren't. And the relationships you have around you will be shaped by it. You see, God understands that he's made human beings to worship. He doesn't need our worship. He is utterly powerful, but yet good. But he knows that when we do worship, if we worship lesser things, we are remade in their image. And that narrows our focus it doesn't broaden it. You see, it can work like this in a very fun thing. This is just a game, right? We just play a game on a television. Maybe a gaming sort of experience, and this really mimics what can happen in all kinds of other things. It starts off as a fun activity, but then apparently there's a disorder known now just as gaming disorder by psychologists. What happens here? Sooner or later, if you begin to not only just have fun with a game, but you begin to orient your world around about it, in fact, if you begin to worship it, it doesn't broaden your horizons, it narrows them. And so you'll begin to see everyone or your time allocated to just this. And you'll be immersed in another world, which will disconnect you from your own. And sooner or later, you will be reshaped in its own image. You see, God understands that we become what we worship. When God's presence draws near, he wants to shine through you. And when human beings offer worship and open their heart to him and say, you are God and I am not, he reshapes you and I in his image, in his likeness. Some people hear in the words of this, if then, this sense of, well, I can only come to know God if I do things that make him happy. And then he will be pleased with me. Or I can only remain with God if I'm doing the right things. And then if I'm doing them, he will love me. And if I don't do them, he will dislike me or hate me. That's how we can see the if and the then. But with God and his partnership and his covenant and his life, it does not work that way. You see, when I married my wife, Bron, we stood in front of a whole group of people And when the minister said to us, do you take such and such? I said, yeah, I will, as long as she does this, 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 and this. I will love her. And then he turned to Bronwyn and said, do you take him? And she said, yes, I do, as long as he does this, 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 and this for me. And we understood each other perfectly. It was a perfect contract. If I do these things, she does these things. And if she does these things, I do these things, right? And then we got married and we lived happily ever after. Now, do you think an arrangement like that would do a happily ever after? Well, if we did this, this, and this, and we did this, this, and this. But you see, partnerships don't work that way. It only works that way when it's preempted by love. You see, why do I want to do kind things and obey my wife? (laughs) At the heart of it is because she loves me and I love her in return. And that's how it is with God. You see, you might be here this morning and you're going, I never understood that. That God might love me. I thought it worked like a contract. If I do this, then he does this. No, that's, that works once you're in that space. Then there's consequences and commitments and promises You want to flourish and you want to thrive in God? It's when you say, God, I want you to shine through me and I need you to fix my wanter so that it wants what you want. The love isn't up for grabs. That's a given. That the life you might experience with him is an altogether another thing. God loves you it's going to come up in a moment. And I want you to think about the question. When God draws near to you, he does it because he wants to shine through you. I wonder if you're here this morning. Come on up. I wonder if you're here this morning and you're wondering, how do I allow God to shine through me? Well, it's when human beings open up their hearts, and they allow God to take control and to fill them up and to shine through them. Jesus, he went up to another mountain, and he didn't have tablets, but he spoke these words. He took a deep breath, and he said this, Blessings on the poor in spirit, the kingdom of heaven is yours. Blessing on the mourners, you're going to be comforted. Blessings on the meek, you're going to inherit the earth. Blessings on people who hunger and thirst for God's justice. You're going to be satisfied. Blessings on the merciful. You reserve mercy yourselves. Blessings on the pure in heart because you will see God. Blessings on the peacemakers because you'll be called God's children. Blessings on people who are persecuted because of God's way. He says the kingdom of heaven belongs to you. Blessings on you when people slander you and persecute you and say wicked things about you falsely because of me. He says, I tell you this, celebrate and rejoice, for there's a great reward for you in heaven. See, Jesus wasn't telling these people, you must do all these things for God to love you. He was describing someone who's already encountered the presence of God in their lives, whose kingdom has infiltrated their hearts and their minds and it's shining out of them. How do I become more like God? It's when I take moments aside, create sacred space and say, God, would you draw near and then would you shine through me? you shape my rough edges you pour your life through me so you hear the words of this song I've got little candles I've brought with me today and there's a table there there's a table still there there's one over there and there's another table right there and there's a little candle I wonder, as you're hearing the words of this song, if you might say, I want to create that sacred space with me, young or old, this week. Why don't you get up out of your seat, come and take one of these candles, and then during the week, what I'd love you to do is come and light that candle at a special time and place and create a sacred space like you're turning aside to the burning bush. And in that, you might play some music, you might read a passage from the Bible, you might pray and say, God... Would you shine through me? And I want to honor you for who you are. Why don't you do that this week? Get up out of your chair. Come and take one of these. And make space for yourself this week to draw close to Him. Have a listen to this song. Connect with God.